0: Welcome to The Blind Side, news and information
1: from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosin.
0: My guest on the podcast today is going to be David Woodbridge. We've talked with David before. He's well known in our community for doing technology demos, particularly with an apple flavor. Although, latterly, he has diversified a little bit. He's been introducing us to a few other devices that are non-Apple as well. But he's back to his Apple roots this time because David got a HomePod. HomePod is Apple's new smart speaker. It's got Siri in it and it plays Apple music and a couple of other things. And a lot of people are saying it sounds fantastic. So we'll talk with David about what he thinks of it. And in the show notes, we will also link to David's own podcast where he's already put up a couple of demonstrations of HomePod. This interview originally appeared on Mushroom FM's technology show, The Daily Fibre. If you haven't caught up with that, it is on every weekday at 3 a.m. Eastern Time, repeated at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That equates to 8 a.m. Eastern And p.m. in the United Kingdom at the moment, with the time differences the way they are, that's 9 p.m. in New Zealand and repeated the next morning at 9 a.m. If you want to find out when the daily fiber is in your time zone, you can head over to the Mushroom FM schedule page. If you've got JavaScript enabled, we're doing a bit of clever stuff there and trying to work out what time zone you're in. So you should be able to see the schedule in your own time zone at mushroomfm.com schedule. That's mushroomfm.com slash schedule. And a number of people are recording these episodes of The Daily Fiber if they can't catch them live using a utility for Windows called Tap-In Radio. It's really nice, this app. It sits in the background and just sort of lodges there in your system tray. And you can schedule very accessibly to record from any stream that you like at any given time. Really nice. And it doesn't even have to consume your sound card. So you can record in the background while you're doing other things and it's not necessary to listen to what you're recording. So I'm going to provide a link to Tapin radio in the show notes if you would like to check that app out. We're at our new home successfully here on the blind side. We are now hosted with Libsyn. Couldn't be happier with the quality of service we got from Libsyn as we made the transition and lots of really cool things happening in the next few weeks to tell you about in terms of hearing the blind side in more places. Oh, there's no escaping it, I tell you. So stay tuned for further information about that. Another thing that I've been wanting to do for 2018, you know, you have your summer break and you get time to think and contemplate what do you want to get done in 2018? And I wanted to create a sense of community around the Blind Side podcast because we have thousands of people listening every week and we do talk about some interesting topics that I think are worthy of further discussion. And I wondered how best to do that. I thought about setting up a Facebook group, maybe a separate Twitter account for the blind side. But one really cool thing about Libsyn is that it provides me with statistics that are easy to understand and digest about where people are listening from. Man, it's amazing how many countries we have listeners from and also what they're listening with. And what was really interesting to me was that the vast majority, I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's not even a, a short distance. The vast majority of people who listen to The Blind Side listen to it on a Victorita stream by a long, 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 long way. And that made me think, well, we really want to find something as kind of ubiquitous as possible for our community around The Blind Side. And so I decided to go to the good old fashioned email group. Most people have access to email. They've got some degree of comfort with it. And it seemed that that was most inclusive of the choices that I had. And so we have started a blindside discussion group. Now, there are a number of things that we want to do with this blindside discussion group. First of all, we will give you some sneak peeks about what is coming up from time to time, particularly if we're interviewing somebody. And sometimes you're sitting there listening to an interview, right? And you think, well, I wish I could ask a question here. And that is one of the downsides of podcasting, of course. With live shows, you can call in sometimes. But of course, the downside of live shows is that you have to listen when it's on to do that. So we'll try and get the best of both worlds by using this list to say to people, look, we are going to be talking to so-and-so. Is there anything you'd really like me to ask them? And so we'll do our best to make sure that you can have some say In the questions that get asked in interviews, particularly if they are contentious interviews. Also, it's a forum to discuss episodes of the podcast that have been released. For example, as I put this podcast together, there's a bit of a discussion running on the Blindside Group about emotional support animals, whether there needs to be certification of all service dogs. What the solution is to this problem that really seems to be befalling people in the United States at the moment, and we've done a couple of podcasts on this. If you would like to be a part of this, there are a couple of ways you can do it. There's a wee form that you can complete now on the blindside.moson.org website, or you can just go to the main site and click on the Blindside link. But you can go straight there, theblindside.mosen.org, or if you want, you can open up your email client. And send a message, you can just put subscribe in the subject if you have to have a subject line, but the message can actually be blank. It's where you address it to that matters. And where you address it to is the blind side, all joined together, just one word, the blind side plus subscribe at groups.io. That's the blind side and then the plus symbol, subscribe at groups.io. And you'll get a confirmation message back saying, dude, are you really sure you want to do this? And you reply and you say, yes, I do. And then you will be on the blindside discussion group. And we very much look forward to having you there. New Zealand has just finished hosting the 20th Retina International World Congress. It was held in Auckland in New Zealand. And I was asked to give a presentation looking at the future of technology and what it might hold. Gosh, that's a bit of a brave thing to try and do, isn't it? To try and predict where technology might be going. But it's nice to take a look at where we've come from, the current trends, what that might mean for blind people in general. And I wanted to set this address in kind of a historical, social context, as well as a technological one, because technology is really a means rather than an end. And so I wanted to put it in some sort of context And I delivered this address, and if you would like to read it, it is now on my blog at the Mosin Consulting website at mosin.org. Then choose the blog link, and you'll find the post there that has the text of my address to the Retina International 20th Congress. I hope you find it enjoyable. Just a wee editorial piece, which seems appropriate for this particular podcast, given that we're going to be talking with David Woodbridge, our recording of what we did for the Daily Fibre Show on Mushroom FM in just a minute. And this relates to a really interesting news story we have been covering on the Daily Fiber relating to a decision that Apple has made about iOS 12. Yeah, we're still coming to grips with iOS 11, right? And if you are still coming to grips with it, by the way, don't forget that we do have the book from Mosen Consulting, iOS 11 Without the Eye, which is a comprehensive look at iOS 11 from a blindness perspective. And that is now also available from National Braille Press in Braille, including hard copy Braille. So you can get it in various formats from us directly at the Mosen Consulting website, M-O-S-E-N org, and choose the store link. You'll find iOS 11 without the I there, as well as a lot of other titles. Or you can go to N-B-P and you can get it in hard copy Braille. Boy, I wrote a lot this year because it's <laughs> I think they went to three volumes for the Braille. You can get it in some other formats from National Braille Press as well. So be sure to do that. I know some people really appreciate having the hard copy Braille in front of them to refer to. But Apple, of course, has to be thinking now about iOS 12. And they are. And it seems like Apple is finally getting the message. I did refer to this briefly last week in the interview that I did with Chris Danielson. Craig Federici apparently got he's a senior executive with Apple who looks after this. He got a whole bunch of software developers in a room and he said we're going to pull back on the new feature set of iOS 12 because we know that iOS is at the moment too buggy and we need to spend some time getting the fundamentals right, making sure that the features that we have just work now. A lot of people have blamed the bugs in iOS on poor beta testing. You know, I I see people say, gosh, why didn't the beta testers report this thing? And of course, that makes the assumption that the beta testers are useless, that they're sitting there playing with the latest and greatest and not reporting the feedback to Apple because if they did, surely Apple would fix it. And that's just not what's happened. You remember that there never used to be public beta testing available for Apple. If you wanted to test iOS software, you had to sign up to get a developer account. And there are still some advantages in doing that because you get the developer previews a bit earlier and you tend to get the new version of iOS. Say when they go from 11 to 12, you tend to get it a couple of weeks early (laughs) with the bugs to show for it too. But generally now people can test the software free of charge if you're brave enough to do it. When that happened, I wrote a blog post, and you can still go back and drill down through the Mosin Consulting blog post and see this post where I said, look, just because the pool of beta testers is increasing, it doesn't mean that Apple software is going to get less buggy. The problem has not been a lack of feedback on the bugs. The problem has been a lack of willingness or resources or whatever it is to fix them. And even though iOS 11 is now reasonably smooth around the edges. You know, the Braille support was very rough when it was first released and they chose to release with that rough Braille support or ran out of time or whatever the deal is. That's quite a lot better than it was for the most part. But there are still some things that I don't think really live up to Apple's. It just works. Standards notifications, a case in point, when I wake up in the morning and I grab my phone and I've got very good. Now, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning now, when I grab my phone is I run the Calm app. We should talk about this Calm app some more sometime. But if you haven't seen this, it is an app that has a lot of meditation and mindfulness material and things to help you sleep. And it's nice. It's nice. And they have a section called the Daily Calm and that is now routinely the first thing I do every morning. I pick up the phone and I do the daily karma, right? So then the second thing I do now with my phone is I check my notifications. And certainly on the iPhone X, and I believe this is an iOS problem in general, but I can only vouch for uh, being an iPhone X user. It is a terribly arduous thing just checking your notifications in the morning. And believe me, I wake up to a lot of notifications And what often happens is that there are all sorts of weird focus issues, even now when we're testing the iOS 11.3 beta. This thing is still there where you flick to the right to go through your notifications one by one, and then a notification repeats. Sometimes it repeats over and over, and so you have to flick left and right again to get the notification you're actually focused on. That's a real productivity killer. Another thing that keeps recurring is badges in messages and sometimes mail where you may have new messages waiting for you and you go to the messages icon on the screen and it doesn't tell you that there are any new messages there. The badges count isn't working. And the one that really frustrates me, and I can't be the only one who is seeing this, is when you have the setting enabled to always speak notifications and i have my iphone sitting here right now my iphone 10 is sitting here on its little wireless charger the qi charger and it's connected to my mixer and when a notification comes in i hear it because the always speak notifications option is on but if the phone is locked and the phone has been woken up to speak that notification what i find a lot of the time is the notification speaks over and over and over, <laughs> you have no idea. Well, maybe you do have an idea if, you, if it's happening to you. How frustrating that is. And the only way I've been able to stop this from happening is to actually unlock the phone. Now, with Face ID, that's not as easy as it was with Touch ID, because I find I have to lift the phone off the charger, face it to unlock it, and then put the phone back down. And I get some peace and quiet. And so this notifications issue, speaking over and over again, when you have always speak notifications enabled, is for me another very big deal. I I don't understand why something as fundamentally annoying and frustrating is allowed to continue in iOS. And here we are getting into a 0.3 release at this point. We're now getting to five months since that first iOS was officially released. So I'm excited about the fact that Apple is fessing up to the fact that they've got some really buggy code that needs attention, that the pressure needs to be taken off the engineers to deliver new features and instead to focus on maybe fleshing out some existing features, but also making sure they work as advertised. Because I think Apple's feeling the pinch, not only in terms of user perception, but also in terms of the strain that's being placed on Apple support with so many people ringing up with software bugs that are causing people problems. There is a second thing that I would also like this new Apple mindset to address as well. And I'm sure that this will resonate with particularly my fellow New Zealanders. And that is that when you factor the exchange rate into account, actually a lot of people outside of the United States pay more for an iPhone than is appropriate given the exchange rate. And, you know, you sometimes see some variation in price with all sorts of products around the world. But this is certainly the case. And we get less iPhone for our money. For example, the News app, which has now been around for some time, and I really enjoy the News app when I change my region, the News app is not available in many countries, including New Zealand. So we pay for the same iPhone running the same iOS, but we don't get the News app. The TV app is another case in point. You can only ask Siri to give you the news in HomePod countries. So Australia, the UK and the United States for the moment. Apple TVs, Siri, isn't available in New Zealand at all. And that's the case in a number of other countries where Apple sells. So I think as well as this really commendable decision by Apple to try and sort out the bugs. And I think it's a fantastic thing, even if it means that iOS 12 without the I may not be three brow volumes because there will be fewer new features. Uh, I think it's also important to look at the features that have been around for a while in iOS that haven't made it to all of the countries that uh, Apple sells to. I think that's an equity and equality issue. So you're welcome to sound off about that. Of course, you can still write in directly to give your feedback. For potential inclusion on the podcast. And the email, as ever, for that is theblindside at That's how to reach us here at the podcast. That's theblindside at You can send an audio file. You can write down your email in the good old fashioned way. And that email list, again, if you would like to subscribe to it and hang out with other listeners and join this community that we are forming, that address to subscribe is theblindside plus subscribe at groups.io.
1: It's time to hear from this week's featured
0: guest on The Blind Side. It wasn't that long ago that when you asked an Apple executive about these smart speakers such as Amazon Echo and Google Home, they were quite dismissive. They said that personal assistants belonged on personal devices and they didn't really see the point. But there was an increasing clamor from Apple users for a smart speaker product And eventually, Apple has perhaps agreed that they may have underestimated the market. Apple's HomePod is an attempt both to get into that space and to differentiate itself from the other offerings. It's an audiophile's dream, apparently. It sounds fantastic, although maybe some people would conclude that it's a little bit undercooked in terms of the smarts. One of the biggest problems it has is that it is powered by Siri, which many independent reviewers have shown Is perhaps the least smart of all of the digital assistants available at the moment. Well, David Woodbridge was anxious to get his hands on one, and of course, being in Australia as he is, it meant that Apple HomePod dropped before anywhere else in the world. And he joins me now to talk about it. David, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So did you? Were you sort of hanging around there, waiting for the waiting for the doorbell to go off, and you know, tense
1: times, all that good stuff? I was I waited, let me see, six point three five hours. Not that you were because... counting. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I thought, come on, mate, you normally come at half past ten and half past three or a couple minutes past three in the afternoon, I thought, my god. But then I was busy with my boys, so I didn't actually get to play with it until about 7 or 8 p.m. on Friday night, which was very, very bad.
0: Yes, what a terrible business that is. It's always frustrating when you know you're on a podcast schedule too and that people are waiting for this podcast and you are very much dependent on the couriers. So I know exactly what that's like. And you've published this review, well, not so much review, but really a demo of, of, of setting up the HomePod and getting familiar with it. You've been using it now for a few
1: more days. What's your overall impression? I mean, are you glad that you have it? But because I'm an I'm an Apple family, so we all have you know all Apple devices, and I've got AirPlay speakers around the house and everything else, and I'm an Apple Music subscriber, then I actually feel quite comfortable with the way that the HomePod fits into my AirPlay speaker collection. Because at the moment, most of my AirPlay speakers have been converted over to um, Google Chromecast speakers, so really the HomePod is replaced some of my AirPlay speakers. And I must say, the way that S-I-R-I, if I say H-E-Y Siri, she's going to go off because it's right next to me. Um, It does respond beautifully. So if you speak in a normal conversational voice in a room, and I'm talking about maybe five or six metres away, um, then it will pick up your voice straight away, even if music's playing. So that really sort of blew my mind. I thought, oh, all the the hype about Siri is listening, really does work.
0: Yes, there's this whole Apple mentality of trying to have things just working. You know, it just works has been a sort of an Apple mantra. And sometimes in recent years, people may say, well, they've strayed away from that from time to time. But when you look at the way that you set up the newer Apple TVs and AirPods and now the HomePod, it's very elegant, isn't it? I mean, the way that you got that up and running, having heard your podcast, it was Apple at its most brilliant in terms of the seamless transfer of data from your phone. To the new HomePod, even to the extent of knowing that you're a voiceover user.
1: Yes. Now, in the podcast, I think I explained because I was not expecting this. So, you know, I, I went through the install and like everybody was doing on the net, and all of a sudden, the speaker said voiceover, and I went, "What?" Yeah. Of <laughs> course, being Apple, I probably should have expected. I've really got to stop being pessimistic, but I thought, "Wow!" But then the problem was that I faced, and I had to pause the po- the podcast when I was recording it. I didn't know how to use the top service with voiceover because all the top service was saying was play. And so what's the knack? What did you find out? The knack is is that when you start music playing uh, and you must drag your finger left and right across the HomePod. Now, when I say across, I know it's round, but I'm talking about when the actual chord is at the back of the HomePod. So you're going eff- effectively left to right. You've got decreased volume on the left, play pause in the middle and increase volume on the right. So if you drag your finger across either of those three uh, buttons, then, of course, you can do your one-finger double tap. Don't use gestures because it won't work. Um, And the the really cool thing is that when you've got music playing and you touch on the play button so it's in focus, if you do a three-finger triple tap, it's the next track. And if you do... A one finger quad tap four times. It's for the previous track. So they've done the homework. But because I didn't know any of that, I just thought, how do I make this thing play? Okay, I can double tap on the play button, but surely there must be more going on.
0: This is the only smart speaker that I'm aware of that actually has a screen reader built in. Now, I am very much a Sonos fan, and our household is brimming to capacity with Sonos devices everywhere. And the newer Sonos devices do also have a touch surface on the top. And I haven't found a screen reader necessary to use those, and I've documented how one works with those touch surfaces in the Sonos Thesia book. I just wonder whether you think voiceover might potentially be a little bit overkill or unnecessary on a device like this, and that a blind person might have been able to learn how to use the gestures without voiceover.
1: I think you probably could have because I'm assuming for a sighted person, I'm assuming the whole surface in some ways is the play pause button that's effectively in the middle. The only problem I would find is then where do you put your tactile markers or get to know about the actual spatial relationship about where the left and right, you know, plus and minus for void up and down goes. So, I mean, you probably could get away with it, but I must say when I was doing the podcast, just being able to, and particularly when you've got you know, your iPhone, your iPad sitting around you, being able to effectively touch the actual HomePod itself and control the speaker from there was really effective. I should say, I, I, at one stage, I got a bit lost because I set up the HomePod, you know, where it pops up like the AirPods do, and then it went back to my home screen. And then all of a sudden, I thought, what do I do now? There's no instructions about where to go. And then I suddenly thought, oh, that's right. I've got to go into the home app, go to the room where I've actually set it up. But there was no, there was no, um, description about, okay, you've set up your HomePod. Now you need to go and use the Home app to complete the rest of the setup. So I just wish that was, you know, a bit clearly explained. And the other thing is in the Home app, so if you go into the Home app, Room, HomePod, Details, Accessibility, there's a, a section, of course, of VoiceOver, which has got speech rate and the double-tap timeout business. What it didn't have was any explanation on saying, no, this is a cut-down version of VoiceOver, you can only drag, you can't flick, because that would have been really useful, particularly for a first-time user like I was on Friday.
0: Yes, and you would have intuitively thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll have a look at the Home app because you have other accessories that are using Apple HomeKit. For a lot of people, I would imagine, working with HomePod will be the first time they've ever opened the Home app, that they've ever had a requirement to open it.
1: That's right, because I, I, I was sitting there for about a good, I don't know, I paused the recording for about a good two or three minutes and I thought, hang on, I can't be that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so there be something around it. And then that's when I, I realised what I was doing. And then, I, of course, I, I had to do some research on the net while I was in the podcast as well to find out what the gestures were for that, you know, drag your finger around and the three-finger triple tap, et cetera. So that was a bit ongoing. I should say too, for people that are sharing the HomePod with sighted phones that don't need voiceover, you can actually say, you know, normally turn VoiceOver on, turn VoiceOver off, so that will work as well. And for people that need a bit of more control over how they touch a touch surface, it's also got the touch accommodations, so that if you're not a you know, a good tactile person, it will be able to let you do your, you know, your gentle or your not so gentle touches on the surface. You can't use them both at the same time, I believe, and you certainly can't turn the touch accommodations on. You've got to do it via the Home app but you can definitely toggle a voiceover on and off via your voice, which is actually quite handy.
0: Now, Apple has been criticised for not rolling out some of the features that it promised uh, initially, and we'll come back to that. What I do find really worthy of note and applause, though, is that even then, when some might argue that um, the, the product that shipped isn't quite the product they promised, they still have these accessibility features in from the very first release, and I think that is incredibly awesome and commendable.
1: They do. And, you know, I've been using, you know, Apple Watches and everything since almost the word go. And, you know, I'm always still surprised. And I don't know why and I shouldn't be by now. The fact that, you know, like I said, the accessibility is built in. The sound of this thing is quite amazing. Now, I listen to some people demoing it over YouTube and uh, you know a couple of different podcasts. There's no way you can appreciate the richness of the HomePod. And I guess this is probably like Sonus as well that you actually have to be in the room with your own ambient room environment going on to appreciate how it actually fills up the whole room um and of course being all automatic you can't adjust the bass or the treble or anything else because it's got you know the a8 chip in and it does all its own processing to find out where to bounce the sound off and all that sort of stuff but it really is beautiful music to listen to so you know for you as a Sonus user i'm sure you're using, you're used to listen to beautiful music yeah. <laughs> i'm not i have crappy speakers <laughs> <laughs> so, to me is a leap up from my crappy speakers to you know a good solid sounding speaker
0: Yeah, look, everybody has nothing but um, praise for the sound, and that's pretty universal. The one comment I heard from an audiophile somewhere was maybe it's a little bit heavy on the bass, but that was just a minor sort of passing thing. Uh, Apple's got the sound right, and I'm not really surprised about that because uh, when you look at the sound that Apple can put, uh, even on its laptops and other devices like that, they clearly take... The audio very seriously. the The sound of the Mac I used to have. I used to own a Mac uh, MacBook Pro, and now I have this Toshiba that does a lot of things I love. But oh boy, the sound is an abomination. And um, um, you know, the Mac sound has always been good, so it's it's wonderful to know that they got the sound right. The, the walled garden thing, I think, is Apple's biggest challenge, and I do wonder whether we're going to see history repeat itself and whether we'll see third party apps. Being forced on Apple for this thing, because it just seems like, look, it's quite a bit of an investment given, you know, obviously it sounds a lot better than uh, an Amazon Echo anything. It sounds probably a bit better based on all the reviews I've read than the Google Home Max, but you can do, it seems quite a bit less with it, though, at the moment.
1: Yes, look, I, I, I must admit when I wandered into the room uh, over the weekend and I automatically said, H-E-Y Siri, play ABC Radio Sydney, which is my local radio station near am on the Central Coast. It, of course, I couldn't do it because I was just so used to doing that on the Google Home. And I thought, oh, come on, guys, I know you can play music and I know you can do podcasts, but can't you at least play some you know, internet radio besides Beats 1 and, mm. of course, at the doesn't I mean I know I can go to my iPhone and my iPad and you know use TuneIn Radio to listen to Mushroom FM or anything else I might do but That's an extra step. I just want to use my voice because it's really convenient to play the content I want to play, including, which it currently doesn't do either, uh, audio books. And wouldn't it be really cool if it could do iBooks as well that the Amazon Kindle can can currently do, the Amazon Echo can do with the Kindle books? Yes. Curious
0: omissions to me. I mean, I I don't know why we wouldn't have um, a voice reading Reading an iBook, it's really odd. Then, though, you when AirPlay 2 comes along, and that will be the technology that also delivers the multi-room support, I think things will be at least a little bit more bearable because at the moment, you know, I heard you do your trick where you were playing an Audible.com book, which is an Amazon company, incidentally, um, mm-hmm. on your, on your uh, HomePod, and that's great. But, of course, what happens is if you were to power down your iPhone or in any way it left coverage, then you would lose that book because the AirPlay current standard requires the two devices always to be in range. My understanding is that at least with AirPlay 2, say if you open the TuneIn app and played Mushroom FM on your HomePod, once you hand it over to the HomePod, I believe you can then just completely take your iPhone out of the mix and shut it down. So that at least will be a bit of an improvement, kind of like
1: Chromecast. Exactly. That's right. So that's what I'm looking forward to. The other thing that you know, that I find is actually not too bad about it is that it, it really gets, particularly when you listen to podcasts, I find it's actually quite nice because it's not so bassy when it's doing podcasts like my Google Home is. I have to adjust the bass for that. Um, the bass really only hits in when it's, you know, playing heavy music. In fact, that's funny because Ellen, my wife said that over the weekend, she said, is it a car going past with that thumping sound? And I was no. <laughs> So I think you might be a bit right. It's a little bit, bassy sometimes when it probably doesn't effectively need to be um, and because because I mainly pay, you know, relaxing, chill out, lay back type music. So I don't want the sort of voom, voom, voom in the background. But uh, yeah, sometimes it gets a bit excited. I just thought I'd also mention to folks too, um, you might have seen on the internet that they were talking about the fact that you can use it as a speakerphone. Um, you can definitely use it as a speakerphone if you start the call from your phone Or you answer the call from your phone and then you can tap on an audio button to then transfer, if you like, via AirPlay back to the HomePod and then the HomePod will act as a speakerphone. So that's actually quite handy. So it's a couple of extra steps. And the other thing about uh, sending and receiving messages, it's also going to use your iPhone. So if your iPhone's not nearby and on the same network as the HomePod, then you won't be able to send and receive messages either.
0: And, of course, this is the way that these companies drag you into an ecosystem because I imagine that when you bring that window up where you've started your call on your phone and the HomePod's popping up there, the watch would be there too, right? So you can also opt to hand over to the watch if you wanted to.
1: Exactly. So this morning somebody reminded me that you can actually play, you know, start and stop, increase volume and add to your library music that you're playing on your iPhone, of course. The way you do that is you go into music, you choose your music, you choose airplay, it goes out to the HomePod. And then, of course, when you've got the now playing item on your Apple Watch, then, of course, you can pause, fast-forward, rewind, next track, previous track, volume up and volume down, et cetera, et cetera, all on your Apple Watch, which is really good when you're in that environment. If you don't have to have an Apple Watch, of course, then you can just go back to your iPhone and do it. So, you know, it's all part of that continuity handoff stuff that Apple does, and it works really well. But, again, You know, you've got to be in the Apple universe to get all those benefits.
0: Yeah. And you see, the thing about not allowing some sort of third party apps on this thing, I use Overcast. It's the podcast client I find really works well for me. I just love so much of what it does. And really all this ability to say, start a podcast on your iPhone on the commute and then get home and pick it up maybe while you're organizing dinner. Um, mm. because you're a, you're a new age Australian man and you're going to be doing the, the dinner and the, the home pods on and you want to mm. hand over then. But of course, that's only really viable if you adopt the Apple Podcasts app, which in my mm. view is a little bit mediocre as your primary podcast app. If you want to use another one, whether it be Downcast or Overcast or uh, Pocket Casts, which is good for people. Your Pocket Cast is great for cross-platform. Pocket Cast works on iOS and Android, and also it's built into Sonos now. Um, you can't do any of that. You've got to you've got to be locked into Apple's own app unless you use AirPlay.
1: That's correct. And look, honestly, that's the first time I've I've used the podcasts app on my iPhone for a long time because I thought, well, like, I know that the podcast uh, option on the HomePod comes off the post po- post, code, post code podcast app on my iPhone. So I spent a, a couple of hours last week getting it all ready. But my, like you said, my podcast of choice is overcast. So the only reason I did the podcasts app was to get ready for the home button. Look, it works beautifully. I mean, I listen to, I can just say, you know, play the podcast Blindside by Jonathan Mosen, play Talking Tech from Vision Australia, all that sort of stuff, and that works beautifully well. But it's the back end that I've got to know that if I don't have all that all set up in the podcast app, it's not going to happen. The only thing I'm a bit worried about the home button, and I must say this is, I started worrying about this as soon as I got it out of the box because it had a beautiful box that came in. It had its own shipping box tailor-made to the box inside, I must say. And then when you open it up, it had that you know, that uh, box where you hold the top of it and it slides out gradually so you can increase the anticipation by getting your hands on the hardware. When I picked up the hardware, I thought, number one, it's actually quite heavy, and number two, it's actually got a fixed cord. Now, I know nobody's going so ex- excited about the fact that it's a fabric cord, Rather than a plastic one, so it 's going to last longer, but the problem is it's physically attached to the home pod you can't remove it now to me, if you had a dog or a cat or a puppy or whatever else that liked chewing cords and it somehow started chewing the home pod cord, then effectively you 've damaged the whole device, so I just really don't like devices that've got this hide wired cable business going on. it just disturbs me a little bit
0: hmm. Multiple users. This is an area that really interests me because these devices are going to be in some sort of, you know, well, as public a place in general as your home has. So they're most likely to be bought for a family room or to have on in the kitchen. And if you're a family with a number of people living in the household, um, you know, your, your Apple music preferences may be different. You might want to find out what's on your particular calendar. And this is something that Amazon Echo is already doing. I i don't know enough about the, uh, the Google home environment to know whether it's doing it too, but you would think with all that Apple smarts, you know, that, that are out there, they might've included a, uh, multi-user support option where you could perhaps pair multiple iPhones with your Apple ID in some way with, with your HomePod in some way.
1: I know, and that's what I'm a bit disappointed about. So what I've actually done when I was setting up and going through the um, Home app itself, I had to turn off personal recommendations because my 13-year-old son appreciates music that I don't particularly appreciate. (laughs) Yeah, funny that. (laughs) So rather than, you know, the HomePod starting to screw up, so to speak, with my own Apple Music library, then I've actually turned that off. And because the HomePod will also bring up, you know, stuff like uh, text messages and other stuff that, that I've got on my iPhone, I've also turned that off as well. So really what I've done is I've I've reduced the smarts of the HomePod by having to turn things off because, like I said, at the moment you can't do multi-sharing with the HomePod. And, you know, Ellen loves listening to music. Um, so does Owen, my little 12-year-old guy. And, of course, Lachlan, he just likes to wander in the room and, you know, before he used to say "You know, the magic word, hey, I G L do Google, and I'm trying to say that without launching it right here on my desk, and the Echo and the same with the HomePod. I must say, though, that my son, what he loves about the HomePod at the moment is that he was always saying, oh, Dad, can you turn off the lights uh, in my bedroom? Well, now he can just yell up the corridor and say, hey, G-Y-Siri, turn off Owen's lamp. And, of course, it turns off, so... finding that really handy because it really does pick up from quite a long distance away what I found during the podcast though was that you know I had my iPhone and my iPad in the room now they were further away than what the HomePod was but and I know they were saying that it's not supposed to do this but I found the Hey Siri magic word was triggering my iPhone and my iPad before the HomePod could actually grab it sometimes so I don't know how well the handoff's is actually working at the moment, and that's why that for people that listen to my podcast, um, the fact that I started actually having to you know touch the speaker to actually make it activate that way manually rather than using my voice because I just thought, you know, I've done this same sequence in the podcast about eight times. It's happened every single time, and I just thought that's something that I wish that they'd actually improve a little bit on. So in the end, what I've done now is the HomePods in the kitchen and I've literally got my iPhone and my iPad right away from it so I don't start triggering them as well when I I'm, want when to I'm just use the HomePod. Yes, I heard that, and that was interesting to me because, of course, if you're sitting down at dinner and you've got one of
0: these things in the dining room and uh, what we find, we, we find this with our amazon echo devices a lot sometimes we'll be just having a conversation about not much and one of us will have a question about some fact or when did something happen or is someone still alive or any number of things and you just intuitively now ask alexa that question and it will come back if you use the wake word for siri But it wakes your iPhone or, for that matter, your watch instead of your HomePod. That's a bit of a downer. And I wonder if there might be a future where we see the ability to configure multiple wake words in the same way that you can now with uh, both uh, Google Home and Amazon Echo so that you can expressly have a wake word that your HomePod is listening for, but not your other devices.
1: I hope so. I hope so because the other day that you know when I, when I was doing this outside the podcast, I think I set off Ellen's iPhone, uh, Lachlan's iPhone, my iPad, <laughs> something else that was going. So for a house that's you know full of you know Hey Siri devices, it was starting to really drive me mad. I, I found out though if I stand back a long way and yell at it, like I'm talking about eighteen twenty meters away. Um, that seems to actually get its attention a lot faster than my other iOS devices so I might start using that as a bit of a you know environmental control still <laughs> just yelling at it to make it work first but look it's you know overall i guess I like the i like the sound of it um, I just wish it was more extended and did a little bit more but I, I, I always knew that when I was going into this that it's a music speaker first it's a smart speaker second so you know and if you're not in the apple universe i don't know whether it actually makes sense, particularly because I've already got Sony speakers. To you know, here in Australia, it's uh, what was it five hundred dollars? So it's you know it's quite expensive. It's more expensive, I think, here in Australia than the, the the Google Max. But I've heard from other people that the Google Max is quite boomy in a way, whereas the HomePod most of the time isn't. But look, you know, it's a nice speaker. I mean, the, the fabric on it's actually you know quite quite lovely. The and the, it was really weird because the top of it where the touch screen is or the touch service actually gets quite warm um, because one feature I, I did turn off and it was on by default, I believe, in the home app was it's got lights on top. So, of course, when, you know, HEY series is listening to you, it's got a waveform on top to let you know the speaker's listening. And I just thought, I don't know how useful that would be unless you've got the speaker at on a desk or a low entertainment unit because most of the bookshelves in my house are actually about two metres high. And that's where I would normally put the HomePod. So it's quite high. So I don't know how much this waveform factor really, you know, I think it's a bit more of a gimmick or perhaps I couldn't work anywhere else to put the lights to let you know the speaker was listening to you. But it's actually, I just thought it was a bit weird because most of the time I've got the speaker up high. One of the things that
0: Sonos has had for a wee while now is a technology called TruePlay where, and and, and it's quite a process, you sort of have to put your speaker in a room if if you've just got a new one or you've moved it into another room and then you walk around the room while the speaker makes almost space invader type noises. And it's designed to work out the acoustics of your room and modify its behavior accordingly. Uh, It's much more to use Apple's favorite word magical in the case of HomePod, because what's supposed to happen is that you just um, place place the device in another room and it detects that it's been moved and it recalibrates itself. Have you had much experience of moving it to different places and assessing whether it really is adapting its sound based on where it is?
1: Yes. I've got quite a few different rooms in my house. Uh, Our lounge room, dining, kitchen area have got cathedral ceilings. So it's like they're 12 foot ceilings with slate floors. And then I've got different rooms throughout the house with different services and that sort of stuff in it. So where I'm currently sitting at the moment, I'm in my study. um, And that's actually quite a a fairly small room. It's still got cathedral ceilings, but they're not so high. And of course, there's different flooring on the ground as well. Um, And I've noticed that it tend, the sound definitely sounds different between, um, you know, when I've got it in the kitchen or the lounge room uh, versus in the study. The other thing I've noticed is, you know, when you walk near a speaker and you sort of get the sweet spot where you're really hearing all the instrumentals and the vocals and everything else, the HomePod doesn't do that. It doesn't matter where you're in the room. You actually get the full sound coming out of the speaker. So... That to me is actually fairly amazing. I, you know, I, I stuck the, I got an extension cord out and I stuck the, uh, the home pod in the middle of the room, just because I could. And you could literally just walk around the home pod and get the same sound effects, no matter where you were walking around. The speakers of all the, what is it, the six or seven tweeters that it's got in it, and the subwoofer that you know faces upwards, not downwards. Um, so that was quite interesting. But look, I must admit, when I've got it in the in the kitchen. Um, that's sort of a weird room because my kitchen sort of got one of those walls that only goes halfway along and then you can look out to the lounge room area. So sort of a split wall type system. I thought, oh, God, how's it going to go with this because it's going to be bouncing off and there's a, there's a partial wall but then there's no wall. But the sound quality was still just as good about where I had it in the main lounge, the main lounge room area. So you know, it really does sound lovely. Um, I should say it, it also sounds a lot better. I know, I know I don't have a Google Max. I've only got a Google Home here. But and there's probably no comparison really, but it definitely sounds a lot better than my the Google Home ever did. Um, my boys love listening to music. So... Um, they've already put in their orders for Christmas when I said, guys, I think for a $500 speaker, um, I think Dad and Santa Claus might have to have a bit of a chat about that because it's quite pricey. But as far as music goes, it's really nice to listen to. And if you've got, um, I would say if you've got really good instrumental tracks with really good vocals and sort of that throat singing type of carols type stuff, then that's really where the HomePod really you know, it does shine about how good the vocals and the Mm -hmm. instrument, (coughs) excuse me, the instrumental comes out.
0: Yeah, what you're saying really bears out pretty much every review I've read, which is that it's beautiful hardware that sounds absolutely stunning with perhaps undercooked software at the moment. But, you know, it's better that than the other way around. Because when you look at the chip that's in this thing, it could conceivably last some years. And if Apple steadily and methodically rolls out software updates that add really good functionality to this thing, you may find that they have built a very solid platform that we're going to see expand in quite exciting ways. And you can't fix the hardware if it's wrong, but you can always upgrade the software.
1: That's right. And of course, uh, you know, it's going to be an automatic update to the system because it's all on, always on your Wi Fi network. It's going to do automatic updates anyway. And for, a, I keep saying to people, it's like when the, the Apple Watch came out or the iPhone 3GS when we had accessibility and all that sort of stuff. This is effectively a 1.0 release of the software. I mean, the hardware, you know, they've taken whatever it is, five or six years to build. And as you said, the, the software can always be improved and it's, you know, pretty much future proof for quite a number of years to come. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen with a 1.0 device and how it goes. I can't see them bringing out a new HomePod next year, but what I can certainly see them is bringing out, you know, maybe a HomePod kit, um, improving the Siri kit, third-party support for the HomePod. I mean, there's lots of stuff they can do with, with the software. I mean, the hardware's already here and it sounds beautiful. Um, and like I said earlier on, if you really want to listen to one of these it's almost pointless going to an Apple shop because you won't be in the same ambient environment as your own house. So remember that Apple's always got a return policy. So <clears throat> if you're buying one of these, take it home, uh, have a play with it. And if you don't like it in the first, you know, one or two weeks, I think in here in Australia, it's a 14-day return policy, then you can return the home HomePod and no harm done. And that's the best way to appreciate the speaker because as we all know about Apple stores, they're open plan, they're noisy. Um, there's no way you're going to be able to, you know, besides just turning it, up, turning the home pot up and going, oh, yes, that's very loud. Um, you're not going to appreciate the origins of the sound bouncing off your home walls and fabrics and that sort of stuff in your own home. So have a play for it in your own home. Don't really bother listening to the music done on the podcast because it certainly won't sound as, as good because it's all compressed anyway. Um, it's like going to a concert and listen to a, a pianist or a, you know, a Spanish guitar player playing, you know, something in an, an opera house like here in Australia where you can hear the just the ambient, beautiful sound of the music, then that's what everybody's going on about with the HomePod, how good it sounds. Uh, It was quite funny. though. I was listening to the iMore podcast, the last one, as we do come onto air, and um, one person said, you know, I had tears in my eyes on how good it was, and I thought, I just think that's getting a little bit carried away, guys. I mean, yes, it's beautiful music. Um, But, you know, don't get too too over-the-top emotionally involved. It's a really good-sounding speaker, but that's what it is, just a speaker.
0: (laughs) When we last spoke, we put you on the spot, and I said to you, you know, given that there are so many blind people on fixed income and purchasing these things is a big deal, if you had to purchase one of these smart Mm -hmm. speakers, what would it be? And you suggested that you thought the Echo was the one that you'd least like to live without – has the HomePod changed that judgment or do you still feel that for all-round functionality, the Echo has you covered best?
1: The Echo. Mate, it's for two reasons, because it's got all the skills and probably number two, I get back to that third-party support. So I can, I can go into my kitchen and, yes, I've got a Google Home, a HomePod and an Echo in my kitchen now. Uh, why have one when you can have three? <laughs> and I can still – but what I love about it is I can say, you know, um, Run, you know, run Mushroom FM. Listen to the Daily Fiber. I can say, you know, play Blindside podcast by Jonathan Mosin to listen to that, or done via the Echo and/or the Google Home. And I can't do that on the Home Pod. And I just think, with particularly with the Echo, you can plug an external three point five mil jack based speaker into the back of it, and get really good sound if you've got good speakers that have got the auxiliary three point five mm jack. Or of course, you can Bluetooth to either the um, either the Echo or the Google Home. So, you know, I'm lucky to be on a very good income and I can afford to buy a $500 speaker. But most people that I know, and either not employed or don't have a really high income, it's just a lot of expense. Of course, you still need to have, a, you know, an iPhone to use it. I'm assuming you also need a, either an iPod Touch or an iPad if you don't have an iPhone. But look, it, it really is an expensive speaker. And if you want functionality like with Google Home, I can just ask it, you know, when the when the next bus is from Narara to Gosford here on the Central Coast in Australia. Um, and that works beautifully. I can't do any of that smart home stuff. So as I said earlier on, this is a music speaker first. It's a smart speaker second because I was cooking dinner last night and I, I said, HGY hey, Siri, Set timer for 30 minutes. And then automatically I said, H A Y Siri, set timer for 10 minutes because I was doing some garlic bread. And of course, Siri came back and said, I'm sorry, I can only do one speaker, one timer at a time. And I thought, oh, that's right. Yeah. So of course I'd went back to my Echo <laughs> and said, Hello, Echo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you set these timers for me? So my, you know, my $50 Echo was there doing its business quite happily as a smart speaker. And my 500 dollars speaker got the thumbs down because it couldn't do a a simple function with multiple timers.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things that come from that comment. One is that hopefully SiriKit generally right across the platform will benefit from what Apple has to do to continue to roll out the viability of HomePod. For example, even on your iPhone, you can't tell uh, TuneIn to open and play a particular radio station, and I think that's kind of daft really. Uh, You can't even tell uh, iPhone to play a book, say, in Voice Dream Reader, because those types of apps aren't supported mm-hmm. with Siri Kit at the moment. So I would hope that Siri Kit's improvements that HomePod may necessitate will kind of trickle down to other devices as well.
1: Look, I hope so, because I, the other day I also said to uh, Siri on the HomePod, what's the battery, what's the status of my battery and all my devices? Now, you can say that on your iPhone and your iPad and your iPod Touch. So of course, what it came back and said, and I hated it when it did this when it does this on the Apple Watch. I can't do that. Please go to your other devices, and you can check your battery status. The Home Pod doesn't have a battery. Oh I thought, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they do not have a battery, but continuity would say to me, if I've done a request on the Home Pod, surely it can then via my Apple ID, my iCloud account, my Wi-Fi connected devices on the same network then poll my other device to say, oh, yeah, look, your iPhone's this battery level, your watch is, and your, and your iPad's the same thing as well. But no, it can't do it. <clears throat> so, again, I just wish that the different Siri, uh, what would you want to say about the, the different Siri experiences on the Apple TV, the Apple Watch, the iPhone, the Touch iPad, and the HomePod, they're all slightly different, and I just wish there would be more consistency. So no matter what device you're using, it's actually going to say exactly the same thing and give you the same functionality. So, And and then, look, I know, again, this is only 1.0, excuse me, so I am really looking forward to the future where this really becomes an integrated part. I mean, I like the fact that my HomeKit works a lot faster on the HomePod than it does on my iPhone. So, for example, if I say to my, um, my system, you know, what's the temperature in the pergola, then for some reason on my HomePod, uh, sorry, on my iPhone, it takes about, geez, I want to say about five or seven seconds for my iPhone to sort of pull the Bluetooth uh, weather station outside. Whereas on the HomePod, and I don't know why this is because the HomePod's further away from it at the front of the house compared to where the Vagola is, it takes about two seconds. So I don't know if the HomePod's Bluetooth or whatever else is doing something different, but I'm finding my HomeKit devices, so the light switches um, and the weather station, work a lot faster with the HomePod than they do mm. using an iPhone, which is really, really strange. I
0: don't know this for sure, but my hunch would be that that's because of energy consumption, that maybe they're sort of powering down Bluetooth radios and things on the phone to save battery. And that when you specifically make an inquiry that requires things to ramp up, maybe then they they power them up.
1: Mm. And, and that's to remind me too, that remember that the HomePod can also act as your home hub. So if you want to interrogate your uh, HomeKit-enabled devices outside of home, then before we used to say, well, you can set up your iPad, it stays at home as a home hub or your Apple TV, the HomePod will also act as a home hub as well. So that's also quite quite handy to remember. So, you know, I've been having more fun now fiddling around with HomeKit than I've ever had with the iPhone because the, the thing I like about voice-enabled speakers is that you don't have to get at your iOS device or your Android device or anything else you just use your voice to interact with the you know the input voice interface to get what you do sorry to get the information you want and what functionality you need to do so that's why i like you know google home the echo and now the home pod is that you can give all those commands but i've got to remember and it's getting a little bit hard i've got to remember what device i'm talking to and what functionality that that system does so you know for the google home i can listen to audio books but not ebooks. On the Echo here in Australia at the moment, Rackbag, Rackbag Amazon, I can listen to Kindle books poorly because it pauses every paragraph, but mm. I can't listen to audible.com.au in Australia, even though it's here. And then, of course, on the HomePod, I can't listen to books at all. So it's almost like you've got to keep this I don't know this sort of quick reference guide in your brain about what functionality goes with what device, and sometimes you get a little bit tongue-tied because you go to say something, you think, "Oh no, 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 wrong device I'm talking to." That's right; it's the other one that does that.
0: And there are no physical um, inputs or outputs on the HomePod, right? No line in or out.
1: No, it's just a so it's a it's a cylinder. It's about in our measurements or our measurements, you know, people that use inches and in feet. Uh, <laughs> it's about seven inches high. It's about six inches in diameter. And it's just a fabric around it. You've got on the bottom, you've got a big rubber um, foot print that you know stops it slipping. And on the top of it, if I touch at the moment, um, you've got a big round touch surface. And when I touch it, just touch it, then it just said play to me. And if I start it playing by just doing a double tap, there we go, that's it playing. So if I touch the right hand side. It says increase volume. So I double tap on increase volume. And then if I touch on the left hand side, it says decrease volume. I double tap it, double tap it again. And if I touch in the middle, and this is what I find sometimes, it's like, you know, we're using any touch service. If your fingers are a bit sweaty, or something because it's really hot here in Sydney today, if I get to the middle, and then I can double tap on pause. But, you know, like sometimes when you touch a touch service, it didn't stop. Hey, Siri, stop. Hey, Siri, stop. What did I say about recognising your voice? Yeah, hey right. Yeah, yeah. God damn. Hey, it, Siri. It, it, it never works <laughs> on a real live demo, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. It still hasn't stopped. Oh, there it goes. No, it hasn't. Oh, jeez. Let me just tap on pause. Right, so... That was actually very weird. That's the first time it's ever done that to me. Um, look, it, it's the thing, it's still going. Hang on.
0: It's out of control, I tell you.
1: There we go. Yeah, look, it's decided that you've been bagging me out a bit. I'm not going to listen to you. Anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but look, it's the it's, guy, most of this time, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, yes, it's it's a touch service. It's going to get a bit weird when you've, your fingers are a bit sweaty because it's, it's not really going to know where you're, you're double tapping once you're in focus of the object. So decrease, increase, and pause in the middle. But most of the time, you're going to be using it via your voice. So you know, overall, <laughs> it does respond pretty well. But it's like any device; it's going to have its little, its its quirky bits here and there. And if you speak too fast, it's not going to respond to you and that sort of stuff. But you know, it it does react most of the time. And the fact that I said that, you know, I've got I've got bookshelves that are about two meters high, so you know, six seven feet high. The pod is going to be sitting on top of them anyway, so I'm not going to reach up to the top of a bookshelf and you know, touch the surface. I know it's great if you've got a low entertainment and you can use the touch surface and it all speaks, which is lovely. Um, but most of the time it's going to be done by my voice. And I did do the, the test where, you know, you've seen people crank it up to 100% and then say, you know, stop with everything else, and it does work. Um, now, I don't know the fact that I've got my mix and mic right next to the, the home pod at the moment. So that might have something to do with it. Who knows? But most of the time, and like you said, when you're doing live demos, it never happens properly. Yeah. Um, most of the time, you can talk normally and it, and it will respond to you.
0: So that's HomePod, and if people would like to hear a demo, then people can check out your podcast, and it's the IC Podcast, but I find that one of the easiest ways to find you is to just get any half-decent podcast app and type David Woodbridge into it, and the IC Podcast comes right up, and people can hear. It's about a 30-minute demo, I think, that you did.
1: It is, and I'll be doing another one um, probably next week or two. I'm going to be doing, doing the, the HomePod as a... As a you know a two way speaker phone and doing it with my Apple Watch and a few other odds and ends that I didn't get to cover in the um, in the home because I just wanted to get it out and you know take people through setting it up. So not much, not so much focusing on the music, but just how you went around you know setting it up from the pop up dialog box to going through the home app. So. As you said, Jonathan, if you just stick in David Woodbridge, it'll bring up my IC podcast plus the Talking Tech podcast from Vision Australia as well, and you can have a listen. So, yeah, it's about 30 minutes, and normally I, don't, I didn't muck about too much about going through the features and what it felt like and everything else. I just got stuck straight into it because I just find on some podcasts people go on a bit much about, other stuff that you don't want to listen to you just want to find out what it's all about and that's what i tried to do in the podcast great stuff david woodbridge thank you so much for joining us and of course
0: that originally aired on the daily fiber don't forget that you can hear the daily fiber on mushroom fm check the mushroom fm schedule page for details about when it's on where you are thanks for listening to the blind side a production of mosin
1: consulting on the web at mosin.org